Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we've got a special Halloween episode for you. Ooh. We're going to review Hocus Pocus from 1993 and Are You Afraid of the Dark, the Nickelodeon TV show that ran from 1990 to 1996 and then reoccurred again in 99 and 2000. And we're going to do a casting of classic movie monsters, things like Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, the Invisible Man, the Mummy, the Werewolf, Creature from the Black Lagoon, and the Bride of Frankenstein. We got a chock full Halloween episode, so let's get started with the three Sanderson sisters of Hocus Pocus. This movie starts out in the 1600s. We've meet this kid. Thackeray, and we have these witches that are stealing his sister. We find out her name is Emily. They follow her to her house, kind of just dive right into old school Salem, setting everything up, getting the exposition ready for these evil three witches. One thing I do want to mention, this movie directed by Kenny Ortega, same director as Newsies. This, I think, is our first director that we've repeated. So... Thackeray follows these witches to their house, try and get back his sister, and here is where we actually meet the three Sanderson sisters. Winifred Sanderson, played by Bette Midler, Sarah Sanderson, played by Sarah Jessica Parker, and Mary Sanderson, played by Kathy Najimy. Thackeray, for anyone who is into this show or has parents who are, Thackeray is played by a guy named Sean Murray, who has a starring role on uh, NCIS. He might have been starring Sean Murray, but it wasn't voiced no, it Sean was Murray. Not. And it was obvious yeah. from the second he opened his mouth that that was not his voice. Definitely. Even without knowing what a young Sean Murray sounded like, I knew immediately that it was not him. Yeah, I believe it was Jason Marsden who did the voice, and most people might recognize him as Eric's friend in Boy Meets World. I also recognize him as a voice actor. He's done a lot of different voices in shows. I maybe know him most from Skyrim. <laughs> he is a voice in a lot of different things in Skyrim. But and I, I believe that the reason that they overdubbed Sean Murray's voice with Jason Marsden was that Marsden does the voice of the cat, and to, to keep it consistent, they just had him overdub Sean Murray's voice as well. Mm-hmm. So back to Salem in the 1600s, we get very early signs that this is just a kind of a silly, ridiculous movie. Just the way Bette Midler talks, I think, is awesome. They're all kind of ridiculous. It's very comedic. Mm -hmm. But we see just how fun those sisters are together. That's what I like about this movie. I think that's one of the things I will say I feel holds up pretty well is the dynamic between the three of the sisters. Okay. I do need to say I had never actually seen this movie until I watched watched it for this podcast this is what <laughs> yeah that was the general reaction i got from people i'd never watched it when it came out i guess i was too cool for school at that point so this was the first time i saw it so and it'll it's it's inevitable that that'll probably happen even though even though we grew up together you know at some point there is going to be a little bit of a discord between movies that i'm familiar with that Adam had never seen, or vice versa. But now we get an interesting perspective from someone who's never seen it before and doesn't have any nostalgic cling to the film. Right. So we go back into the movie. The sisters are performing some ritual. Max sneaks in. He tries to stop them, but he can't. The witches end up stealing his sister's life force, which is kind of creepy and something I definitely didn't notice as a kid. After they suck out the aura or the life force, from her they all become younger but i don't think i ever noticed the kid becomes old and she's yes. got this these long gray hairs and she's just sitting there 
dead in the chair. More or less, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I ever noticed it because I was just <laughs> always looking at the sisters like, oh, look how young they are and, you know, not paying attention. But yeah, they oldified the sister, Emily, and she's just sitting there dead in the chair because they sucked her life force. So some dark moments that you could see in here. I mean, some yeah. other ones as well that you get, like the witches are going to die, they get hung. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's multiple deaths in this film. It has some darkness, but it's all done in a comedic way. So it's not like it would scare a kid. I mean, it is a Halloween movie. Interestingly enough, it wasn't released around Halloween. It was released in the middle of the summer. Really? Yeah. (laughs) I believe sometime in June. I don't have the exact date in front of me, but I do know that it was released in the summer. It was a little odd for a Halloween movie to be released at that time of the year. Yeah. So these three sisters, I feel like anytime you have like three females in, in one movie, Hollywood tries to make one a blonde, one a brunette, and one a redhead <laughs> as often as possible. And that's what we've got here. They have different personalities, but I think they all work together. Bette Midler as Winifred is the leader of the group. She's definitely the, the biggest voice and she's telling everybody what to do. The bossy one. And obviously the most evil. Yes, too. she's definitely the most evil. Yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker is the dumb one. She's kind of the dumb blonde I'm assuming youngest sister, where I don't think she's really all that evil, but she is dumb as a brick. Yeah. And they kind of, you know, they kind of stereotyped them then, too. I mean, she plays the young pretty one. She's wearing a corset. She's showing a lot more skin. There is a lot of cleavage and just boobage going on with Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, especially for a PG movie. And then, you know, Najimi kind of plays the bigger girl. and Yeah, but she's also like the quirky one she's yeah th- she's got the the funniest lines and just like she probably has some of the best delivery out of any of the sisters and any of like the, the comedic moments yeah from i would them. agree with that i would agree with that yeah speaking of sarah jessica parker and her corset and boobs <laughs> i remember distinctly and it still i think holds true is this is definitely sarah jessica parker's most attractive role <laughs> I, I she's she's nowadays she's not really known for being an attractive person she's kind of she gets she gets the butt end of jokes of course face jokes from a lot of people but in this movie she's pretty damn hot yeah she's 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 very pretty in in this for sure and this is our second movie with her in it yes yeah we talked about her briefly in flight of the navigator although her role in that one is is very very small yes and useless almost (laughs) um and a lot less cleavage all right, so we're still in the 1600s. We haven't gotten out of this first scene, and the town ends up catching the sisters as they just finished stealing the life force of Emily, and they're going to hang the witches, but not before Bette Midler can curse them and set a, a spell that they're going to come back to life if a virgin lights the black flame candle on Halloween night. So then the sisters get hung and you see their feet dangling. And that's <laughs> pretty a moment I don't particularly remember. But it's like, OK, yeah, we hung someone in a Disney movie yep. uh, in 93. Cool. We then cut to nowadays, the 1990s. And it was all a story, basically, from a teacher in school in Salem. We meet Max, who is the new kid in town. He moved in from Los Angeles, California, so he's definitely a dude and doesn't buy into all this witchcraft crap. (laughs) And we meet our main female love interest named Allison, who's not taking any guff from Max. Uh, No, this is her town. These are her town stories. You either buy in or you get out. Yep. (laughs) And she is fully bought in. After unsuccessfully trying to court Allison very early in the film. Max starts biking away. We meet these bullies. Quick scene of them taking his shoes, just kind of setting up that, hey, here's these bullies, and I bet there'll be some payoff with these bullies later on in the movie, and that's about it. They're just kind of dumb characters. Honestly, I don't think I really even needed them at all in this film, but yeah, yeah, just a funny moment of Max is totally an outsider. Another just showing that he's 
He's more of an outsider. So he goes home. We meet his parents pretty quickly. Something's hiding in his closet. What the fuck is that? Is that a witch? Is he going to die? Pops out his sister, who is played by Thora Birch, who is, in my opinion, the sister Danny is the coolest character and the best character in the entire movie. I was going to say that she is my favorite part of this movie. Yeah. I'm already predisposed to like Thora Birch. I loved her in Ghost World. Mm-hmm. I loved her in American Beauty. Even having not seen this, I was I, I already kind of was predisposed to, to like her, but I thought she was the best character. Brought a lot to every scene that she was in. She's definitely the smartest character. <laughs> yes, she is. For Max is just... They just keep laying on that he's an angsty teen, all of that. And Thora Birch seems to be the most mature and just sassy and intelligent of all of them, where I'm just getting kind of tired of Max. He's just kind of annoying. Yeah, yeah well, this was this was 93. This was kind of at the peak of the grunge, mm-hmm. the angsty teen grunge phase. But yeah, she's uh, she's kind of the tough one. She, she don't give a fuck. She's the honey badger of the family. <laughs> But Max takes her out trick-or-treating. He doesn't want to, but whatever. And he ends up doing it because he has to. And the sister is just, yeah, she's definitely the most fun. She doesn't give a shit about bullies. She'll do whatever. And Max is just, he cares too much about being cool, where she is the epitome of confidence. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I like about her. Anyway, they end up going and finding this sweet, rich house (laughs) and an incredibly pretentious party where everyone is dressed up in, like, Late 1700s yes. scar with wigs. Powdered two, wigs, that kind of shit. Two things that I found interesting about this scene. One, they just walk into the house. They didn't ring the doorbell. There was no sign that I saw that said, come on in. No. They just walked into they this house. walk in and say trick or treat, not knock outside and say trick or treat. And then when no one comes, you leave because that is proper Halloween etiquette. etiquette. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing was, as soon as I saw everyone dressed in the party, I went, huh, eyes wide shut. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably uh, an Eyes Wide Shut party. Yes. I'm very certain of it nowadays. They were all in the back rooms orgying it up, except for Allison, who was there. It was her parents' party, so we know her parents are swingers. (laughs) Good for them. But Allison in her 17-ish hundreds American Revolution style attire. And the only one not wearing a wig and a mask, so. Yeah, so she, I guess, kind of didn't care about it. Yes. Anyway, we find out, yes, it's her home, it's her parents'. And they all decide to spice things up and go check out the Sanderson Museum. Ellison's mother apparently was the curator of. So they break in. Max is trying to be so cool. It's super (laughs) annoying. Basically, he wants to try and light the candle. This is like the start. They keep bringing up the virgin thing. (laughs) Like they talking about that it has to be it's a virgin lighting it and they poke fun at this guy for being a virgin like crazy yeah it is it is kind of weird yeah for a disney movie and it, we, we keep coming back to it like it's non-stop it's like oh my god you're a virgin like virgin 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 he, he looks like he's a, a sophomore or freshman yeah damn son let, let the kid just grow up right so disney wants you to bang young oh jeez so basically, Max is going to light the candle. We have a cat that tries to stop him, which is mysterious. Well, we already know who yeah, he yeah, is. Yes, we do already know it's Stacker because... Uh, we saw him get turned yes, into a cat. the sisters turned him into a cat and said he's going to live forever, basically. We get a funny little line. I love it when they say the name of the movie in the movie. And <laughs> Max, at one point, says, oh, I don't believe in this. It's all just a bunch of hocus pocus. Hi-oh. Hey-oh, that's the name of the movie. I see what they did there. Ultimately, he lights the candle. He fulfills the prophecy of the virgin lighting the black flame candle. And the sisters are back. Just like that. Really, they just kind of walk in through the door. There wasn't like anything special that happened. (laughs) 
<laughs> Nowadays, you'd get some sort of special like CG atoms and material coming up from the ground and forming into a person. Mm-hmm. And but no, it's just sort of a lot of lightning, and then they burst through the door. Yeah. They smell Danny because Kathy Najimy's character can smell children. Yeah, they each all have kind of different powers. Sarah Jessica Parker can sing children kind of like a Pied Piper-ish. Right. With her voice, Kathy Najimy can smell them out. She's the bloodhound. And Bette Midler's like everything else. Right. They first find Danny, and Danny tries to play it cool. This is what I like about Danny. Yeah. She tried to trick them and be like, oh, I'm one of you witches, <laughs> and they weren't having it. Right. But at least she tried. Yeah, at least she tried. There's one thing that always annoyed me, and I don't know why it was said this way, and it was probably done in ADR, meaning they recorded it not on set, but after. There's a line that they ask, Winifred asks Danny, what year is it? And Danny responds in the weirdest, most monotone way, 1993. Tell me, Dumpling. Mm. What is the year? 1993. I have no idea why it's said that way. It's really weird, but I don't know. <laughs> that, that is neither here nor there, <laughs> but I thought it was the weirdest delivered line in the entire movie. All right, fair. Uh, Max tries to help out, and basically Max and Allison and Danny are all trying to escape. They kind of wreak some havoc in the Sanderson home, and they find out that the cat can talk, basically. <laughs> they all just kind of, like, get together and escape here. What they use as a distraction is Max lights a sprinkler, and the sprinkler system goes on. Max trying to play off that it's Reign of Death. Somehow it's the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, the kids are playing it very cool, honestly, from Witches Coming Back yes. from the from the dead. But yeah, so they get away, and yeah, oh shit, the cat can talk, is what we find <laughs> out Yeah, right afterwards. That's pretty cool. The animation of the cat was okay. It wasn't anything special, I mean, but like knowing it's 93, it's yeah. not bad. Yeah. Max ended up stealing the book, which is good, because that's the whole premise pretty much of the chase of the movie, is Winifred and the sisters have to get their book back so they can make their potion and live forever. So the sisters kind of decide that they're going to go chasing after the kids. One thing that, that they do, I love is how they, they do this certain walk where they're all standing three in a line, mm-hmm. and they kind of go back and forth and back and forth, and this like certain, not really a march, but it's just, it's, it's comedic. Mm-hmm. It's definitely uh, a lot of fun. It's going to sound like a really weird connection but it actually kind of made me think of how you see velociraptors portrayed the kind of the swaying movement, <laughs> oh, the way yeah. they move together i know it sounds really odd but that was the first thing that popped in my head when i saw that yeah. was like oh it's kind of like jurassic park okay interesting but yeah these kids are handling a resurrection of witches and a talking cat really well they immediately just kind of go into the oh i guess this is a thing there's no holy shit I have to gather myself and my thoughts because everything that I thought in this world is false. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, it is Salem. Yeah. The witches then explain that they only have one night to get their potion and steal their life force because the black flame candle, once it is gone, they will turn to dust unless they can get the life force and then Mm -hmm. live forever. So this is their entire mission is to go back and get the book so they can create the potion because they don't remember it. And then, and more, more emphasis on the virgin thing. The cat (laughs) brings back the virgin uh, (laughs) comment to Max and it's just, it's nonstop virgining here. He's trying to dig it in. Yep. So they all hide out in this cemetery because witches can't stand on hallowed ground, but they do raise a zombie. We then meet Billy, who is who was Winifred's boyfriend, who ended up cheating on him with her sister Sarah, and she sewed his mouth shut and killed him, I think. And yeah. 
So she raises up this zombie who we kind of like. Even even early on when he's the henchman, I don't dislike him because he kind of you can. It's obvious that he doesn't really like Winifred Sanford, Winifred Sanderson. And I will say another another good choice by them. That guy is played by a great character actor who does a lot in makeup. Is a guy named Doug Jones. If you saw any of the Hellboy movies, he played Abe Sapien. The okay. kind of fish-ish character. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He does a lot of motion capture and, and uh, makeup-style character roles. He's really good at that stuff. Cool. Bink's cat has them hide away in kind of this sewer way. Billy the zombie goes after him. He loses his head. At one point, that's kind of like a semi-running gag. They keep knocking his head off. Mm-hmm. Just some comedic moments here and there. We get some more moments chatting between the witches together, and I kind of like them. I just, uh, what I think is so strong about them is they're dynamic with each other. They're all very different, but it just works really, really well. Now, that's not to say that there's not faults in this movie. I'm not saying that right. at all, but the thing that I think is maybe the, the strongest in this film is probably Thor Birch. Her kid acting is awesome. And then the three witches. I think those are the best parts of this film. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. They get out of the sewer via manhole, and here we have Binks the cat run over by a bus, which happens to be driven by Sarah Jessica Parker at the time because she's flirting with the bus driver. Random story. And we all see this squished dead cat. (laughs) Not really a traumatizing moment, but like that's probably that's exactly what like a squished cat looks like. Well, yes, except for it has a lot. There was a lot less uh, what would have been blood and guts <laughs> yes. pushed out of the cat. Yes, because it was basically the front end and the back end were still up, and the whole middle was all, flat. It was almost comical. Yeah, it yes. almost like a comical run over, like you see in the cartoons. Yeah, but Binks is not actually dead because he's an immortal cat, and so he just kind of blows himself up again. He kind of inflates. Yeah, he yeah. just is like it magically inflates, and he's back to normal. The witches get off of the bus, and they're just in the, the middle of this residential area in Salem, and they smell a bunch of kids, but they don't see kids because they're out on Halloween night. Mm-hmm. And so they're a little bit confused about what's going on. Part of the comedic moments in this film are all about if someone from the 1600s pops up into the 1990s. Right. And so you get uh, the moment of them realizing what an asphalt road is. <gasps> There's a black river. Perhaps it is not too deep. It's firm! A little bit of the classic fish out of water yes. type story. Yeah, yeah. But some pretty funny moments. Here we then get the grand introduction of Satan himself, Gar- <laughs> Gary Marshall. <laughs> Just a cameo from Gary Marshall. I don't think he had anything to do with this movie. He he didn't produce it at right. all. And also Penny Marshall. Yes. Uh, brother and sister playing husband and wife. Yes, which I did think was weird. <laughs> yeah. Gary Marshall is dressed up as Satan. And I thought just a funny little line, the sisters say, Master! That they all, you know, the witches know they've met Satan and apparently they forgot what he looks like because or he actually does look like gary marshall there's just a funny little scene of them kind of going into the house yeah them thinking it's actually satan meeting his wife who was dressed up like medusa kind of (laughs) but yeah nothing really crazy other than they realize the world that they're in is just a bit of a a a bit of a hoax they realize it's children after that they realize that wasn't satan Mm -hmm. and it's just like all right sisters we have to realize what we're at and and keep moving from here then the kids go to the, I think it was the governor mansion for a party, for the Halloween party that the parents went to. This town, maybe because it's Salem, 
has like the coolest Halloween parties. The skeleton band that was playing is <laughs> like, man, maybe I just wasn't invited to any cool Halloween parties at all. But like <laughs> when you have that super rich Stanley Kubrick party and then you have this sweet governor's mansion party with an awesome band, sweet ass parties in Salem. So the kids go to try to find their parents. They they do pick them out. One's dressed as Dad Kula. The other is Madonna with the pointy cone bra and all. The witches end up kind of following him there. They bewitch the entire party with a song. The spell being that they have to party all night basically. I believe she said dance until you die. Dance until you die. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So nonstop partiers in Salem. The kids escape and they come up with the idea to burn them. So they go into the school. We see the Sanderson sisters going into the school. The audience is assuming that they're following a trap that the kids put on them. One of the best lines of the movie as they're approaching the school, they're like, well, what is, what is this building? Oh, it looks like a prison. It's a prison for children. Ha ha ha. Funny joke because all kids think that school is a prison. I thought it was funny anyway. Probably some lines that went over my head or just wasn't paying attention. As a uh, public school educator, I can neither uh, <laughs> confirm nor deny those remarks. Mm-hmm. The kids lure the witches into a pottery oven, which is a huge pottery oven. is an entire room. Yeah, it's a pretty big kiln. Also, this school has like the worst security, like no locks or anything. These kids are very easily break into it and break into a dangerous, massive room that can burn people alive in and (laughs) turn it on. And there's no key system, apparently, or any of that kind of thing. So, yeah, school's dangerous. Stay out of school. (laughs) They burn up the witches. We see this green gas go into the sky, assuming that the witches got burned to death. Kids all go back to their house. They assume that they're safe. But the witches don't fully die. The clouds come back down into the kiln and they reform and we get no explanation for this. Yeah. That just made no sense. It's just all of a sudden, okay, you're not dead. I don't know why. That was weird. Yeah. So the witches run into the bullies and they capture them and that's fine. I don't really care about the bullies. Just some funny moments of that. Winifred's sad because she can't remember her potion. She ends up calling for the book. Max feeling that he's safe and the witches are dead, he opens the book to try and see if he can help Thackeray become not immortal cat anymore. But the book shines its light and reveals itself to Winifred. The witches end up going to their house and they steal Danny. They want to basically take her life force and they get the book to find their potion and all that kind of stuff. Basically, Max is a dumbass and... <laughs> His idiocy has hurt everything in this town. Like, he he's he is the only reason anything bad happens in this movie, I think. Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. The witches basically have their plan of Pied Piper all the children and steal their life forces. So we have a scene of Sarah Jessica Parker singing on Broomstick high above to all of the kids. kind of transfixed and migrate to the witch's house. So Max and Allison try to form a plan to go save Binks and Danny. They ultimately decide that they need to raise the sun and they do this by using high beams of an SUV. 
<laughs> to distract the witches. They go into... Using, using their ignorance of modern technology. Yes. He goes to save them. He gets them out, but he leaves the bullies. Like, he specifically t- steals his shoes back right. and le- leaves the bullies to die, yeah. which is not a very heroic move. No, nah, no. Nah. Max is cruel. <laughs> Max is not a very likable character uh, when you actually dissect him. Yeah. And in Saving Danny, he also pours out all of the potion, all but like one tiny bit of the potion for the witch's scheme. But one thing that was definitely weird and a stupid call on the Sanderson sisters' part is they have this whole veritable field of children that they could steal the life force from because they have that one last tiny little bit of the potion. But instead, in Winifred's stubbornness and anger, she's like, no, I want it to be this Danny because she called me ugly earlier. It's like, you could have saved yourselves if you just did it to any other child who was right in front of you and no one else was coming to attack you and you would have been fine and then you could have figured out how to get them back later. Right. But instead, her own stubbornness gets the best of her because she is so insecure. And this pops up every now and then in the the movie kind of come reoccurring that she doesn't like being the ugly one and I think she's jealous of probably Sarah Jessica Parker's character for being the pretty one. Right. But that was dumb. That was just so dumb. Like, of these characters that I liked and you wanted to be, like, semi-smart bad guys, they're not at all. (laughs) They fucked themselves over pretty hard. So our group of heroes goes back to the cemetery. We see the zombie again. But here, Billy turns on the witches and is a good zombie now. Flip, like, that funny little scene of them cutting open his mouth that was sewn together and him blowing out all this dust and calling Winifred a wench and a (laughs) trollop and... (laughs) Just some funny stuff here. And the only thing that I also thought was odd was even though this happened, Max automatically now says that, oh, no, he's one of us. Now he's a good guy. To me, it seemed like an awfully weird, quick switch. It was a quick switch. And it was just like, hey, audience, don't worry about him anymore. We're good. That's kind of what that line was there for. Yeah. They try to protect Danny because they know she's the one that they're going after. They put a ring of salt that we find out is, you know, a safety net. Basically, if you circle yourself in salt, you won't get attacked by witches. You'll be protected. So they do this in a open grave, Billy's open grave that he was awoken from. But Danny leaves it because at one point, Billy loses his head again when Winifred kicks it off. Wouldn't you know it, she gets captured. She gets grabbed, Mm -hmm. snatched up, and now we kind of have a standoff. Max who has the book, and Winifred, who has Danny. While they're having their standoff, Binks climbs up a tree and jumps on Winifred, and she loses the potion. Max catches it, and then he drinks it so that the sisters have no other choice than to choose him as opposed to the sister, Danny. Well, and also in doing so, Binks gets thrown by Winifred into basically into a headstone and you just kind of see him land but you don't see anything else past that but also still a fairly dumb move on max's part and if i was one of the witches and if i was evil there'd be no reason why i would care about danny's life anymore i would have just chucked her off the broom and let her die and fall and then then grab max right well i don't know why he felt drinking the potion and making them choose him was going to keep danny safe like that doesn't make any sense to me well it's a Disney movie. It's a Disney movie. So the witches start sucking. <laughs> they, <laughs> they're trying They're trying to suck out the life force from Max. Winifred is. They're also battling time because the sun's starting to come up. Mm-hmm. And it's just this fun battle. One thing that we forgot to mention, just a funny little moment. When the witches set off for this kind of fight, they only had two brooms. 
Well, it Mary- wasn't even two brooms. Oh, yeah. Um, Winifred grabbed a broom because mm-hmm. you see they're in their house and they open up a closet and they see one broom and one mop. Yes. So Winifred comes out with the broom. She leaves on the broom. Sarah. Sarah comes out with the mop and she leaves on the mop. And then poor Mary, uh, Mary comes out dragging a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, it's just, I mean, funny. You, you see kind of in the battle scene, they grab the power cord and are like holding her back. away. Just some comedic moments, like slapsticky moments that they've got plenty of those in the film, which still hold up pretty well. Not as good as a lot of other movies, but it's still fairly funny. Yeah. What ends up happening, we're back into the fight scene and they're trying to suck the life force out of Max. Winifred ends up standing on the ground and it's hallowed ground and she can't do that. And she turns into this weird statue that, thing statue. yeah <laughs> that didn't really look like her but anyway so that's what happened so when a witch stands on hallowed ground they become a statue yeah. and at the same time they all turn to dust yeah the, the sun, sun comes, comes up, up. which because winifred was the only one who was actually sucking the life force out of max right. but i felt like she did get enough like she sucked enough out of him like as much as she did with the kid earlier right that I feel like she would have been able to survive the sun coming up, but they set it up that she standed on the hallowed ground. Right. And so no matter what, she was basically fucked. Yeah. Um, so the sun came up and it ended up blowing all of them up. Yep. Uh, they all turned to dust and blew up. That's the end of the Sanderson sisters. We have a close up shot of Billy at one point, And I realized that, that zombie has good fucking teeth. Like <laughs> just a random thing. They didn't do anything to his teeth. That's all I thought yeah. that was interesting. Basically because of the death of the sisters, this removed the curse from Binks and now He's an actual dead cat, and we get the ghost of Thackeray, who is able to finally hang out with his sister again. We have that sad little moment where we realize that we think he's fine because he's an immortal cat, but now he's not coming back. And mm-hmm. you hear his voice, and you turn, and you see child Thackeray, and now he can rejoin his sister, and we see his sister come out. So in eternity with your sister in the afterlife, are we sure that it's not hell? <laughs> I mean, that sounds like hell to me. <laughs> Sorry, Abby. <laughs> But that's not how I want to spend my afterlife is just hanging out with my sister for eternity. So anyway, we get one final virgin joke at the end. (laughs) Just another little tag on about Max and his virginity. There is some implication that he won't be a virgin for long with Allison. (laughs) That's just kind of how it's taken. But yeah. And then the credits scene comes up as we see the parents leaving the party. And so their curse is over too. Yeah. That's just kind of funny. We see the bullies are still chained up. That's kind of funny. And the book's eye opens again. Uh Oh, will there be a sequel? I don't know. There probably was, but I never saw it. Right. My thoughts on Hocus Pocus, the movie was okay. Like in general, I, I liked, like I said, like the moments were fine. Like the comedic moments I thought still held up pretty well. Maybe my sense of humor has just gotten a little bit older, but I still really like the dynamic between the sisters. I think Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy and Jimmy all did a fantastic job, and Thor Birch does an amazing job as a child actress. Max is stupid, and everything is his fault, I feel. Binks the cat is fine, no issues there. Allison was just kind of there, but she was okay. She wasn't a bad character, but yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. This is not a movie I will go out of my way to watch 
ever again unless it's Halloween and a group of people want to watch it. That's the probably the only real reason I would watch this again. It's not bad, but it is not like worth my time outside of Halloween group events. Mm-hmm. Those are my thoughts. What about somebody who had never seen it before? Well, I want to start by saying that I had not seen my wife kind of light up as much as the other day when I came home and said that we had to watch Hocus Pocus. <laughs> I'm going to make a lot of enemies. I didn't like it at all. I thought it was dumb. I thought a lot of the <laughs> jokes were dumb. I thought most of the characters were dumb. The only saving grace in my mind was Thor Birch. Mm. There were some issues there at best just with the, the way she talked. The hard part for me is that I didn't already have that nostalgic attachment to the movie, which I know every, most everyone else who has seen it would have, especially if they saw it when they were a kid. In the end, a lot of these movies that we do talk about are for kids. We're talking about stuff that we watched as kids. Not everything was necessarily for kids, but a lot of them were. And we'll have to be honest, not all of them are going to hold up. As someone who had never seen it, I'll probably never watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> I just probably, I'm not going to say I'll go out of my way, but I'm going to imply it mm-hmm. to not watch it. <laughs> I didn't really like it. The overdub voice of Sean, of, of the other guy, of Rashawn Murray's voice, yeah. was bad. I didn't believe it for a second. And maybe it's just because I'm older now and I've watched enough movies and more attuned to that sort of thing. I can't recommend it. Okay. I just can't. I'm sorry. That's fine. Disney doesn't need you, John. You're <laughs> There's a lot of <laughs> doesn't need anything yeah no there's a lot of things that disney does do yes. that i love yeah like telling people to not be virgins and yes uh, if so if everybody starts banging everyone you can light every candle but <laughs> until then don't so, do any candle lighting just especially to, black candles just to be safe so now we're going to talk about a classic scary show from the 90s, Are You Afraid of the Dark? This appeared on Nickelodeon's Snick, which I remember, I don't know if you or might have been a little too, just too old for it, but... I remember enough of it. Okay. I, when it started, when Are You Afraid of the Dark came out, I would have been around 10, 9 okay. or 10. So yeah, you're still in that, in that time. Yeah. And Snick was Saturday Night Nickelodeon. And there's certain things from old school Nickelodeon that I just love forever. Snick was one of them. Stick Stickly, if anybody remembers Stick Stickly out there. Hashtag Stick Stickly. Just some fun things from Nickelodeon. And this show... I think has a pretty good cult following and people remember it and love it. It's a show where kids get together and tell ghost stories. On Nickelodeon, it ran from 92 to 96, but it was actually started off as a Canadian show I saw. Started from 1990 uh, and then got picked up by Nickelodeon till 96. And then it kind of had a resurgence in 99 and 2000 and ultimately ended in, two, in the year 2000. So these group of kids and they call themselves the Midnight Society, which is a super cool name. Like I <laughs> wish I had a group of friends who got together and called themselves the Midnight Society. I just thought that they seemed super cool, even though they were all very diverse group of kids. Mm-hmm. They kind of had you had a nerd Gary, who was kind of the lead. He was the one that I think most people recognize from the show. He had glasses and kind of like a, not quite a mop top, but nerdyish looking hair. Right. <laughs> but he was kind of like the leader of the group. If, if I had to put one, they always would throw in this midnight dust into the fire and start each story with submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. 
Which was a, an obvious homage to the Twilight Zone. Yes. This show is definitely kind of not a ripoff, but it's a, yeah, an homage to the Twilight Zone. It's the 90s kids version of Twilight Zone. It's like yeah. our generation's The Twilight Zone, which yes. Twilight Zone was actually was, you know, really for all generations for kids and adults, really. Yeah. More so adults, I would say. But this one was kind of, this did that for us. This kind yeah. of did that exact same thing for, for our kids. And I, and I like that they had it. nothing else really on TV at the time was like that. You yeah. didn't get too many shows that were doing scary stuff. You know, the 90s and the 80s were just full of saturated heroes and redundant storylines and that kind of stuff where here's a show that seems pretty unique. Even at the time though, you had basically two shows going on that kind of did the same thing. One was for adults, one was for kids because you had Are You Afraid of the Dark, which was the kids version. Mm -hmm. And then you had Tales from the Crypt. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which it was also kind of, Council did the same thing. But those, those two in itself were kind of unique. You did, I think, I believe there was a resurgence of trying to get the Twilight Zone back. I know there was a movie in the 80s mm-hmm. which was okay i see that's the twilight zone i know is yes. that is the movie from the 80s because yes you get dan Aykroyd, john lithgow i remember that movie more than i remember the, i never watched the series i don't know if i've ever seen the series but i've seen the 80s movie i've seen a few of the classic episodes of, of the twilight zone and i wish i could remember all names i remember the a few of the episodes the one from the movie i think it was john lithgow with the creature on the yes. on the plane the is actually from the original series and the person who actually did the original series was William Shatner. So in that mm. episode, it's actually William Shatner with the creature on the plane. Okay. There's also the very classic Twilight Zone episode with, oh, and I want to say the character, I think it was the, the character was played by, I want to say John Hurt, but I don't think it was John Hurt, where there's an end of the world. This guy complains about not being able to have enough time to read his books. Oh, yeah, And yeah, there's yeah. an apocalypse, and he's the only one left, yes. and all of his books are still there, and then at the very end, his glasses fall and break. That's That scene has been like, you know, there's been a lot of homages. It's parodied yes, a lot. Yes, I've seen, I've seen it in like Futurama and a bunch of other different places like parody the Twilight Zone. Yeah, but this was definitely kind of the, the kid's Twilight Zone. And I will admit that when you suggested we do this one, I didn't remember having watched it. I guess I wasn't into it a lot, but I, as soon as I saw the intro, I remembered it. Which yeah. tells me that, yes, I did watch it. Maybe, maybe not as religiously as, mm-hmm. as as you or others, but I did watch it enough to kind of get that nostalgic feeling like, oh, yeah, I know what's yeah. coming next. I know what's coming up. The intro was cool because it was just kind of spooky, scary stuff. It didn't have like a, a real theme song or anything. It didn't need yeah. it. It just had some scary sounds and then like, you get the shot of a boat and then these other random shots and stuff like yeah. that. It was just, and then like the famous Are You Afraid of the Dark shot of the match that, that to me it's famous. Like when I think of Are You Afraid of the Dark right. and logo we have the match going in total darkness with the are you afraid of the dark uh yes font around it scary fun fact what they threw into the fire was non-dairy creamer (laughs) how's that scary i don't know (laughs) okay that's cool that's good to know if i ever want to have a midnight society when i'm out camping and i will throw non-dairy creamer into and it has a cool effect but yeah the kids just kind of get together they tell their stories and the stories are all very different you know you get a you get a different story for each time and mm-hmm. none of them i don't think really run and there's no like overarching storyline no. even with the kids themselves in real life there's not like a, any real story that we care about or that no. happens it's just getting together to hear ghost stories and that's yeah. what we do every week most of you got i think was a couple of maybe two-part episodes but yeah that was it but this show will definitely go down as one that terrorized a generation of kids <laughs> it probably also i think really helped with 
the growth of horror film for today. I think there's a whole big niche market for horror movies, for indie horror movies. Yeah. And I think it's probably our generation that grew up watching things like Are You Afraid of the Dark that kind of got them into like, oh, hey, scary can be fun. It's not yeah. bad. Scary doesn't mean bad. It makes you do things and jump and get scared. And that's kind of fun. And so yeah. I think it probably helped start that movement a little bit. The show in itself was fine, where this show I don't think really holds up. And even at its time, it uh, was never all that great at was the production value isn't that great. Like the acting really isn't that great, particularly when they go into the stories and right. diving into that, all of those worlds. It's really nothing special. You know, it's, it's very just low budget, but it's fine. I, I get, have a lot of respect for it still. Yeah. There was actually quite a bit of special guests that appeared on this show. You have Ryan Gosling was in an episode. Tia and Tamara Maori were in an episode. Melissa Joan Hart, Gilbert Godfrey, mm-hmm. Bobcat Goldthwait, a bunch of others. I mean, it's not nearly like the pull that Twilight Zone had with a bunch of other like right. actual bigger known actors, but there's a lot of similarities to it. It's not a great show that I really want to watch now, mm-hmm. but it's a show that I have a lot of respect for and I'm glad existed in its time. Yeah, well, and also when you, I guess kind of when you think about it, they they had to do for every episode brand new stories that means brand new sets mm. brand new actors they couldn't really reuse a lot of the same yep. sets after a while people would start to notice and get redundant so trying to do all that on what was probably a fairly low to mid budget at the time is actually pretty impressive and they spent a lot of time doing stories I, the couple episodes that i rewatched just to kind of to do this i wouldn't say were scary yeah but they were creepy yeah yeah there's definitely some creep factor yeah yeah and you know for for especially for for little kids it probably would have been a lot more scary than as scary as it needed to be i should say so i you know what overall when i went back to watch it it wasn't that bad i actually i i sat through the whole episode which was good i did yeah i did too it was fine i don't know that like again like you said i don't know if i'd go out of my way Mm -hmm. to watch it again but if someone came in and was like hey i want to watch a couple episodes i'd sit down and watch it with them yeah i could see that fair enough i would say if they tried to redo this show now the problem that i would have is probably they'd be forced to do a lot of like cheap cg and stuff like that just mainly for the reasons that you said is they have low budget they have to do a bunch of different sets and so Mm -hmm. you know all that all those costs add up and so you would have cheap cg and cheap regular special effects practical effects always look way better than cheap cg effects yes when i see bad cg i am immediately taken out of it and i bet that would happen if they redid this now because like the monsters would have some of that kind of crap and it would look so bad if you just have some like you know some some cheesy makeup and some stuff it still works way better yeah so i well but, and, and i'll say sometimes even good cg can kind of take me out yeah. of it jurassic world i hated the cg in that movie oh. actually particularly with the the big alligator thing whatever the fuck that was called uh, the big water yeah dinosaur. the big water guy his cg was bad in my opinion well i, I mean good but that bad. one that one i kind of went in expecting what i got yeah <laughs> and so i was able actually able to enjoy it one movie i might make some enemies with this and i i want to say for for the record i love star wars i hated episode seven Oh yeah, you're wrong on that one. You're wrong. You that's you actually liked it, and you just didn't know that because it's a good movie. No, no, no. (laughs) I hated it. I hated it for certain reasons. I was immediately taken out of the movie when Snoke came on screen. When Snoke came on screen, I completely lost respect for the movie. But it's just a hologram, though. It doesn't. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. It didn't matter because the hologram was CG. Not that. Not okay. Not that the okay. (laughs) 
Not that the hologram was CG, but that the character was obviously CG. It wasn't a hologram of a real person. It was a hologram of an obviously CG created character. I hated the character. I hated the the repeat storyline of, oh, now we're going to blow stuff up. And they just have, they're like, oh, we're going to blow up Coruscant. Blow yeah, up Coruscant. That, that, I agree on that line. And, and I, I know this, this episode is not about this. Yeah. So this <laughs> yeah. all might get cut out of the thing, but I'm going to rant. I loved the Ray character. I didn't say I loved John Boyega's character, but I actually really liked it. Mm-hmm. I liked Poe. I kind of liked the dynamic that mm-hmm. they, the two of them had. Everything else about it, I didn't like. I didn't like Adam Driver's character. I See, didn't I like the Adam Driver character. I, to me, that he's a more interesting villain because he's getting the pull from the good side. He's a bit of a whiny teen and he doesn't know what he's doing and he's thrown to to fits yeah. and all this shit. But I like that about him because he's not just a regular, oh, I'm another just plain evil Darth Vader-ish character. He's like, no, he's there's, he's got stuff to him. That's what I like about him personally. No, that's what I didn't like. About okay. <laughs> We're really getting off the rails here. I know. All right, let's... <laughs> well, with that, back to Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> In general, pretty solid show. If it was around Halloween time and, or maybe not even that, if you just kind of wanted some scary ghost stories with the kids, this could be a fun one to watch with them. With that... I declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. <laughs> All right. And since this is our Halloween episode, we thought that maybe it would be fun and do a recasting of kind of the classic universal monsters. And I know that there was talk of them reopening this universe. Uh, they re- recently re-released The Mummy. But because it flopped. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think they're happening. And I think their problem there was that they were thinking too big picture and not enough. They were thinking, oh, this is going to be great. We'll make a whole universe just like, you know, because Marvel's had such success. Mm-hmm. But the thing that Marvel has done that Universal didn't do was they made sure that that first flagship movie was good. That first Iron Man yep. movie, which is really the start of it. Yeah, that still holds. That movie is so good. Yeah. That movie's still so good, and so they they didn't really do that with this one, and frankly, no one went to go see it. I didn't even go see it. No. I was actually a fan of the Brandon Fraser. Oh yeah, mummy. Those, those were campy. They were yes. fun. It was they were enjoyable exactly movies. They perceived themselves to be. Yes, and and it seemed like this one that was trying to make it a little itself a little too serious. Yeah. and I just I wasn't buying it. Yeah, a little bit of that Tom Cruise taking himself way too serious for yeah. what he is, which I like Tom Cruise as an actor. Oh yeah, but it was a movie I didn't need. Yeah, you're right. But we figured we'd we'd take a shot of kind of doing our own recasting of classic Universal movie monsters. It and there was quite a few to choose from, but I kind of narrowed it down to uh, about seven that I thought were pretty good and essential. So we're going to do Dracula, Frankenstein's monster. So remember, Frankenstein was the scientist, not the monster. What a pretentious asshole, John. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the monster's name is Frankenstein. <laughs> I know. The mummy, werewolf, the invisible man, the creature from the Black Lagoon, and Bride of Frankenstein. Let's actually, for this one, I'm going to work backwards. Okay. We'll start with The Bride of Frankenstein. Okay. I had a little bit of a tough time because in my head, I see The Bride of Frankenstein. It immediately makes me think like Elvira, Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, a little bit of that flair. Yeah, Um, and and that boobage. (laughs) Yeah. 
Major boobage. My initial thought was to go maybe uh, Angelina Jolie. Oh, yeah. She's got that look. She does have the look. She can pull it off. She did a really good job in Maleficent, even though that wasn't really a movie that was for me. I thought she did pretty good on that kind of scary scale. But I decided to go with someone who has played a creepy girl before. She's done some kind of neat little art movies nowadays, but she's mostly known for being a child actress. She played Wednesday in the Addams Family remake, and I went with Christina Ricci. I love Christina Ricci. I think she's a great actress. I think she's done some really, really good films, even after having gone, you know, being out of the kid role, really dynamic stuff. I thought she'd be a good fit. I know she's kind of on the shorter side, but the Hollywood works, it's magic. They can deal yeah. with that somehow. I just think that she's she's got that face. She could do the stoic look. And whether or not they decide to do the crazy the hair. Marge style to, they hair. They have to do that. Yeah. I think she'll bring a lot to the role. So my pick for Bride of Frankenstein was Christina Ricci. Okay. I think that's a, a good pick. For me, Bride of Frankenstein was kind of Easy. I went with the easy choice. I went with someone who plays crazy women all the time. <laughs> and I think she's definitely got the look for it. And I went with Helena Bonham Carter. Okay. She is just such a Bride of Frankenstein style for me. She kind of played that crazy person with Bellatrix Lestrange in uh, the Harry Potter movies. Hello, this is Adam from the future. Just a heads up, John's mic cuts out a little bit, but it comes back not too much later. So you're going to get a real dip in John's audio quality, but it'll be back. So no worries. So now back to the show. She's married to, or I don't know if she is still married well, to. Uh, and let's she, be honest, if they did a Bride of Frankenstein movie, it might be Tim Burton who directed yeah, Honestly, yeah. And so there's a high chance that, that it would be Helena Bonham Carter anyway. Right. But I was trying to think of some other people, but I just kept going back to her and I was like, she's she's a fit for me. I mean, you know what? I don't know why she didn't come into my head, mm. but it is an obvious choice. Yeah. And it, you know what? Even though it is kind of, it's almost overplayed. The, the style of character. Yes, she it, she's definitely, it would be, uh, it's into that fit. But you know what? She'd be good at it. Mm-hmm. She'd really good at it no matter what. So now let's go to probably the lesser known one out of all of these, which is the creature from the Black Lagoon. And I'm interested to hear what your pick is. I wanted somebody who has handled prosthetics and makeup, heavy makeup before. Also someone who's still pretty intimidating. Like I want my creature from the Black Lagoon to be far more intimidating than the old 60s movie right. was. Because that suit, looks terrible when you look at it nowadays the movie was seemed to be more moving on the suspense mm-hmm. of it than the actual use of the monster because it was a pretty bad looking rubber suit yeah for this intensive purposes i kind of imagined that we're doing like kind of like a sinister six like like the <laughs> like a, like an avengers but for evil beings i guess kind of somewhat like um league of extraordinary gentlemen or whatnot right kind of thing where you get like all these monsters together and so i want but i want my creature from the black lagoon to to be scary to be big and intimidating right. doesn't need to be as big as Frankenstein, but still pretty intimidating. So I went with a guy you probably don't know. His name is Kevin Gravois. Kevin Gravois, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but he was Ray's, a werewolf named Ray's in the Underworld series. So he's this big, I think like 6'5", fairly large guy but he's done like full prosthetic makeup in the movie i frankenstein so he's kind of done this before and so obviously he's kind of in the horror genre with underworld and i Mm -hmm. frankenstein anyway and he's got a really good strong deep voice like a scary deep voice and i think that would fit really well in general with the creature from the black lagoon i also went with someone who has a history of doing characters with makeup and oddly enough with someone we've talked about on this episode and i went with doug jones okay okay uh, as for my Creature of the Black Lagoon, who played Billy oh, yeah. in the Hocus Pocus movie we just talked about. Um, he played Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies. He was in Legion. He's done a lot of that 
that type of thing. And I think he would do really, really well. Yeah, he would be kind of like the lanky, skinny, creepy version of the yes. Christian Black Lagoon. Mine would be a much more of a big, hulking, intimidating yeah. version of it. So. Uh, yeah. The Invisible Man, that presents a little bit of challenges because mm-hmm. you know that whoever whoever's doing it has got to have a voice. Yes. Because a lot of it's going to be, you know they're invisible and you can there are ways of indicating you know where someone is but it's ultimately it's got to be someone who can basically carry a movie with their voice Mm -hmm. several years ago there was an invisible man movie with the hollow man yeah Yeah. hollow man with kevin bacon it was okay it wasn't great but i kind of went with someone who has a voice who i know could carry a movie that way and it basically has carried a movie with basically just his voice the entire time, and I went with Hugo Weaving. Okay, I thought we were about to pick the same person here. I like okay. Hugo Weaving. That's a good call. I also wanted a British actor as well. I like that call, though. Hugo's really good. I went with Eddie Redmayne, because uh, I wanted somebody who was a good enough actor who could portray without any anything, any right. of his face or any just his voice, just like being wrapped up in towels, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eddie Redmayne's a very good actor. I wanted a British guy, and I thought he would do a good job. Right. But yeah, Hugo's a great call, too. Definitely difference in age, so that mm-hmm. could be yeah. I, that, it, that would could be different different you could backstories, be different yes. dynamics of the characters. I originally thought Daniel Day Lewis, honestly, because oh. I thought he would be a very was it be a good call, but I kind of stuck into that. <laughs> I very much wasn't. I want a British strong actor, <laughs> right? Uh, werewolf, you got to have a strong actor. You got to have somebody who can work probably good in mocap. I've mentioned him before. I This is probably will not be the last time. In fact, when I showed this list to my wife, she just went down the line and said, Andy Circus, Andy Circus, Andy Circus, Andy Circus, Andy Circus. <laughs> so my pick for a werewolf was Andy Circus. He can, okay. he can do the motion. He can do the movement. Yeah. He's a good enough actor to bring depth to what is essentially. I mean, he can do anything. He can do anything. Yeah, honestly. he can do and be anything. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to deny that. I went with someone who also is good with mocap and he's an actor I love from watching the series Spartacus. He was in seasons one and he was in all the seasons, but pretty much only seasons one or two are worth watching if you ever want to watch it. <laughs> Those two are great. He also plays Deathstroke in the Arrow series. His name is Manu Benet. And he also played Azog in the Hobbit series. Yes. So he is well versed in action and mocap. Yep. And I think he's just a great actor. I really like him. I want to see him in more stuff. And because of all that, I went with him as my werewolf. Okay. I like that choice. I like that. You have a lot of kind of other than Eddie Redman, you got to do a big. <laughs> Some yeah, I've got strong people. Strong people. Okay, Mummy. It was also kind of a hard choice. This one was tough for me. This was the last one I, I finally got. It's not so much a, as voice, because Mummy doesn't generally talk mm-hmm. in the movies they're in. But one thing I did kind of like a little bit about the look of sort of the recent incarnations of the Mummy with the Brandon Fraser one, and even with the Tom Cruise one, is it's not just the creature in completely wrapped up mm-hmm. where you can't see anything. Like, you have to, there needs to be some decay. There, there was almost like some, no wrap up. Really no, yeah. That. That, I think the, the recent one with Tom Cruise, they took that a little too far. Because <laughs> they showed but, a lot of her skin. <laughs> yes, but uh, I need to see some decay. I also want, honestly, I wanted someone who, because it's the mummy, they need to be Egyptian or they need to look Egyptian. Mm-hmm. I went with someone who's played an Egyptian before in a bit of a campy role. He played an Egyptian in a night at the museum, but he's also a really good actor. Great success on on Mr. Robot, and I went with Rami Malek. 
versus okay. My Mummy. Yes, good choice. I actually had very similar thought process. I wanted My Mummy to be an Egyptian actor. The problem is Hollywood doesn't have a bunch of well-known Egyptian actors who right. have done any roles that I think would fit with this, but that didn't stop me from still casting one. <laughs> um, so I did some, try to do some research and tried to get someone who I thought could kind of look at and is Egyptian. And so I went with a guy named Sami Sheik, and he's probably most well-known for playing a character named Mustafa, who is kind of a, ri- a rival sniper in the movie American Sniper. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember him. Because it's the mummy, I wanted to really try and get an Egyptian actor. So, yeah, that's who I went with. All right, cool. So now the big one, <laughs> literally the big one, Frankenstein's monster. There are a lot of choices. Yeah. There are a lot of big guys. There's not a lot of talking, if it, at all, probably in something like this. But it's got to be someone who can portray a little bit of emotion because mm. you're familiar with the story. It is, it is, it's essentially, it's a sad story. In the yeah. original one, you know, the monster comes to life, the monster gets out, and the monster does a song and dance of putting on the Ritz. I know, classic story. <laughs> No, but he meets a little girl and he accidentally kills the little girl because he doesn't understand. And of course, then then you get the classic, you know, mob scene with the pitchforks and mm-hmm. the torches and stuff like that because they don't understand him and he doesn't understand their world. I went with someone who has done makeup to great effect. He's a really, really good actor. He's a big guy. He's got a deep voice. I went with Ron Perlman. Okay. I mean, Ron Perlman, he's just, he's getting up there in age though. He is getting up there in age, but I, I bet he could do something like, you know, yeah. Frankenstein's monster doesn't move around a lot. He shambles. No. <laughs> So yeah. I'm sure you could. I'm I mean, sure you could do that. Oh, Perlman's a great, great actor. So yeah. I can't deny that choice. I went with very on the nose uh, with mine again. <laughs> I pretty much had it chosen between two of the three actors that played the mountain in <laughs> Game of Thrones. Uh, I was either going with the first, the, the guy who played it in the first season, who was Conan Stevens. He also played a character named Bolg in the first Hobbit movie. Uh, who so he's he's good with makeup and whatnot, but. I ended up going with the new it guy of the mountain, and that's Hofbor Julius Bjornsson, the one of the world's strongest man competitor guys. He's huge, super intimidating. He is not the best actor, and that's for damn sure, but he has the presence and the look, mm-hmm. and he is pretty much already playing Frankenstein in Game of Thrones <laughs> right now, so I just, I went with the easy choice. I'm like, I'm going to go with him. Okay, that's fair. This one... Other than the mummy was a tough choice for mm-hmm. me because out of all of the monsters, Dracula is the most iconic. Yeah. He's the most recognizable. He is going to be the one who probably talks the most mm-hmm. out of all of them. He's got to have some charisma. I thought Gary Oldman, despite the butt hair that yeah. he had to wear, <laughs> did a very good job. Yes. Of course, I'd watch Gary Oldman do pretty much anything. Yes. And so in my head, Dracula has a very particular sort of facial structure and the way I wanted it to look. I went with another Game of Thrones alum. I went with Nikolai Coster-Waldo. Okay. Who plays Jamie Lannister. Okay. Um, I actually, I knew of him before from Black Hawk Down because I was, mm-hmm. I had read the book right before the movie came out and I was a huge fan of the movie yeah. when it came out. And so I was already very familiar with him from that movie. He's, I think he's got the look. He can act. It might be a stretch for some people in their mind to see him as Dracula, but in my mind, I think he'd do a good job. Mm-hmm. Is he maybe the best choice? I don't know. Because there, sure there are other actors who are good, who yeah. could do a good job. I think he's, he does a good job. I think he's got the look. Yeah. And I think it'd be an interesting change. Okay, fair enough. And interesting enough, I went with someone else who has appeared in Game of Thrones. Uh, you went with Ed Sheeran? I did not go, <laughs> I did not go with it. I went with a different Ed. I ah. went with Ed Screen, ah. who 
plays Ajax in the movie Deadpool, but he also was the first Dario Naharis before uh, that guy character got either recast. I think Ed Screen left to probably to go film Deadpool or something. Yeah. But I like him a lot in Deadpool. I respect him as an actor. I think mm-hmm. he could do a good job. What I, I like, he's got like that hairline, I think he could do. I like I want like a deep V hairline for my yeah. Dracula. I like his voice. Yeah, he can definitely do some action if, as needed. Also a semi Game of Thrones alum. So yeah, that's why I went with Ed Screen. Cool. That was our picks for classic movie monsters. Honestly, we'd love to hear your picks. You got a better choice or someone you'd like to see better? Let us know on Twitter, Facebook, email, carrier pigeon, smoke signal. <laughs> Yell scream from your window tops. Yeah, however you want to do it. So I think that's gonna do it for our spooky Halloween episode of Blast from Our Past Podcast. Please join us in two weeks for a very special episode where we have Marvelous Joe and Johnny DC from the Dynamic Duel podcast join us for a review of the X-Men animated series and the Batman animated series and do a recasting of the X-Men into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and a casting of Birds of Prey. If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com or you can find us on facebook and twitter at at blast past cast that's at blast past cast on both facebook and twitter so until next time i'm john and i'm adam and thanks for joining us see you next time